Well, it is good to be together again, church, and and this week we are now continuing in our Understanding the Gospel series, and this morning we have the privilege of hearing from the disciple John in his first letter he wrote to churches just like ours around 2,000 years ago. And as I was thinking about how to set up this passage from John in verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 2, I realized that probably the best way to set this all up is to just quickly hear and go through what John himself actually says to introduce all of this. And so, so as we begin here, we don't usually do this, taking a whole other paragraph to start. But I want us to quickly look at all of verses 1 through 4 to begin. Because I think this will actually be really helpful to set the stage for what we're covering this morning. So that said, just briefly look at your Bibles at the whole opening of this letter from John. And remember, this is the disciple John who walked with Jesus for years, who learned from Jesus, and who overall was one of the closest, most beloved disciples and apostles of Jesus. And he starts his first letter off like this. Look at your Bibles. Begins like this, quote, That which was from the beginning... And briefly, we'll actually stop there for a second because that's really fascinating by John. And as you might know, John actually starts his whole gospel book off this way as well, right? With, in the beginning was the word. And why does he do that? Well, because this whole beginning talk, church, is supposed to remind us, as you might hear, of the first page of our whole Bible, the first verse, where Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so from the beginning is supposed to make us start thinking about God. And so that which was from the beginning, and then what happened? Well, continuing on in verse 1, look at your Bibles. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And stopping there, hopefully, hopefully you're seeing how amazing it is what John is really saying. Because he just said that which was from the beginning, meaning God, and now all of a sudden his point is, we heard him, we saw him, we looked upon him, we touched the one who was from the beginning with our very hands. You see that? And he's the word, the logos, if you know John 1, of life. And so you can sense what's going on. John is talking about Jesus, how Jesus is God, how Jesus brings life, which then leads him to say this, verse 2. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which is with the Father and was made manifest to us. And that right there is actually a, a great summary, if you will, of what Jesus' apostles did, the first apostles, because think about it. They saw and touched and looked upon Jesus himself. And so what was their task? Well, they then proclaimed and declared and told us the Jesus that they knew and his message. And really, that's what the whole New Testament is. If you want to think of it that way, that's why each book in here is from, or it's apostolic in a sense. But why did they do that? Well, finally, for this whole introduction, look at verses 3 and 4. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And so what's the goal of Jesus' coming, giving us life, and the apostles telling us about it? Well, the goal is fellowship. Fellowship with the apostles who really have fellowship with Jesus and the Father. And finally, them sharing that fellowship brings them joy. And of course, it leads to our joy as well. 
And so, I know that's a lot to start, but that's verses 1 through 4 here. That which was in the beginning really came here. He was heard and seen and touched by John and other people. And this Jesus was and he is the life. And his message is about us having life. And he's writing this to us. John is doing that. All for the goal of joyful fellowship. Which should all make us feel, okay, well, what's then the message, John? And in basic, the message, right, the word is Jesus, and it's the gospel of Jesus, but still, what does that mean? And in short, the point I hope we're all now seeing is that John's answer to that is what we're covering this morning in chapter 1, verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 2. Which is why you can see verse 5 starts with, this is the message that we have heard and proclaimed to you. All because what we're about to read is a way of describing the one true message of Jesus. And so all that said, that's a setup for this morning, but that then brings us to our passage itself and our outline for how we'll go through these verses. But first, before we even get to that, just so you know, as a bit of disclaimer on this passage and really on John's letters in general, as most Bible teachers and commentators will point out about John, we just all in here quickly need to know that John is way more circular in his thinking and his writing than say Paul or Peter or really all the other New Testament writers. Meaning John doesn't go as linearly with point A leading to point B leading to point C. Instead, he, he kind of sometimes jumps around and says something and then maybe doesn't explain it or prove it until much later and then he might come back and say it a whole other way. So circular in his thinking and writing. And quickly, I bring that up not because that's bad per se, but instead... We just all need to know that from the start because number one, that means that some of this will maybe be a little more confusing as we go and yet still I do think by the end of it we'll all understand deeply what God's word is saying. But even more than that, I bring it up because number two, John's being circular does mean, church, that we cannot, especially when we read John, we cannot be people who jump to a conclusion on a verse right away without really deeply looking at to the context of what John is truly saying. And you'll see that matters a lot in our passage this morning, particularly because so many people misunderstand John because they take one verse from his letters and they run with it to places he would never go. And so again, we cannot do that. Instead, we have to do our best to truly see what God is saying here through John in the Bible this morning. But anyways, so all of that said, that finally does really, though, bring us to our outline for how we're going to go through this passage, our outline. And so to go through verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 2, we're going to go verse by verse. And as we do so, we're going to have three sections asking some questions. Three sections asking some questions. First, we're going to begin in verses 5 through 7 here. And there we're going to be asking, what is all this talk about light and darkness? And specifically, what does it mean for us to walk in the light? So that'll be our first question, which in second will lead us to verses 8 through 10, where we'll ask, and, and how does all this affect our sin in the heart of the gospel? And you'll see what I mean by that later, but that'll be second, which then third and finally will lead us to chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, where we'll ask, and what really should you and I take away from all of this? What should we take away from all of this? And really, I love the last two verses we're going to cover, because John there, just kind of straight up, tells us what we should take away from everything here. And so that's where we're going, church. Three sections. First, about light and darkness with us and God. Second, specifically talking about our sin in the center of the gospel. And third, what we should take away from all of this. Well, I said, let's now just dive in then and begin our first section, church. And here again, verses 5 through 7. And we're asking, what is all this talk about light and darkness? 
with God and with us? And specifically, what does it mean to walk in the light? And for this, we're going to start with just verses 5 and 6. 5 and 6. So look down at your Bibles, continuing on now. Just verses 5 and 6. This is the message we have heard from him. And we proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. <laughs> so, so this is a great example of how John says things that might surprise us. <laughs> because look again at just how verse 5 there starts. So remember verses 1 through 4, Jesus came for our life and fellowship and joy and we should think, and you were there, John. And so what is the message? Well, quote, this is the message that God is light, and in him, there's no darkness at all. And you can sense it, right? If we stopped there, someone could say, see, the apostolic message is that God is just perfectly holy. Because really, that is what it means that God is light with no darkness. God is perfect in his power, in his sinlessness, and importantly, in his love, and there's no bad darkness in God. Right, so that's verse 5, which then, in verse 6, John specifically next tells us how that sort of relates to us. And what does he say there? Remember verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And so now, the point is, God is light. And so if we say that we know God while we walk in darkness, then we're liars. And we're not practicing the truth. Now, those are verses 5 and 6. And on those two verses, for you and me, just think about it, for you and me, we probably understand the words of those verses. But to understand what it actually means, here's we need to take a second and realize we cannot just leave it there. And we need to make sure we try to deeply understand what John is saying. Because think about it, let's be honest. We probably hear those verses, almost everyone in this room probably heard those verses, and might be tempted to think, wow. Okay, I, I guess that means that the Bible here is saying that basically I, I do need to be good enough. Or the Bible might even be saying that I kind of need to be perfect with no sin in order to stay in my fellowship with God. Do you see how at first this verse really, these verses really might sound like that with this light and darkness talk? And, and hear me out, honestly, a good amount of pretty Poor Bible teachers have taken these verses out of context and they do say things like that. You can hear that on YouTube all over the place. People do say things like that and it totally goes against the gospel of grace because let's be really clear, if that was the case, if that's what John actually means here, then the gospel of knowing God by grace alone, through faith alone, through the forgiveness of Jesus alone wouldn't be true or at least John wouldn't be teaching that here. Instead, his message would be Jesus has come and so now you must walk in the light of perfection like God and don't do any darkness at all and then you'll know God or at least then you'll stay in your fellowship with God. And implied therefore would be and if you sin at all, you are out of your fellowship with God. But hear me out church, that is not what John is teaching. It really isn't and we know that for sure and you personally can know that for sure because of the very next verse. Look at verse 7. And here now we're diving more into our question of what does it mean for you and me to walk in the light? And so now to really understand verses 5 and 6, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. 
And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So let's make sure we all really understand what the Bible is saying because it's so important to understand the gospel and our Christian lives. And this is where we start to see verses 5 and 6 understood as well. And here's what I mean. So notice, verse 7 here starts with, but if we walk in the light. And therefore the Bible here is basically sort of defining what walking in the light means and, and looks like here. And think about it. Since God is light... Again, you and I might assume that walking in the light and not walking in darkness equals perfection. Like God. You see that? And again, so many people have taught that wrongly and thought that. But church, walking in the light actually is not talking about perfection. Let me say that again. Walking in the light in the Bible here is not perfection. It isn't. Instead, notice here with me clearly three things here it means to walk in the light. Three things. Number one, the verse starts with, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. And that's significant because the point is, walking in the light mainly is about being with God. Right? With God who is the light. It's about that fellowship with God that John has already talked about. And that makes sense. Brothers and sisters, us living our lives in the light is living our lives in a relationship with God who is light. And so that's the first thing it means to walk in the light. It's a, it's a lived out, genuine relationship, fellowship with God, which means walking in darkness is not that. Which then, number two, and this is really fascinating here, leads the disciple John next to say, quote, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with one another. And that right there, church, that the Bible says that is just one of the many reasons why, why this this, what we're, what we're doing here this morning, not just the service, but us being together and church and really church partnership and membership and doing this with other believers right there is a good example how this is quite important according to God's word. Because you can see it, John the apostle who walked with and touched Jesus, he says the message is walking the light, which means number one, fellowship with God. And also though number two, it also means fellowship with one another. Meaning God's plan has always been for us to personally know him and to do all this with others. Not to just gather for his service, but to be in this together. <laughs> and so that's the second thing it means to walk in the light. And, and maybe for some of you in here, that alone might stir your heart to really open up with others and get to know others here at ECC. But that all leads us, so importantly, to the third and last thing here in verse 7. And this is the crucial thing to see, to properly understand what the Bible means by walking in the light. Because remember, we can read and people often teach verses 5 and 6 and they just say, look, God is light and so Christianity is about walking in the light, meaning we must be perfect like God. And you'll hear people say, so if you have any darkness, meaning if you sin at all, then you do not know God or you will lose your fellowship with God. But church, this is so important. That teaching literally is not and cannot be true here. And why? Well, please, if you see this for yourself, the end of verse 7 again, quote, if we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so us walking in the light includes Jesus cleansing us from all the sin we have. You see that? And on that, here, here's actually the most, one of the most important parts of that. And stick with me here because I think this is quite amazing. Notice, the verb cleanse here is in the present tense. The present tense. Cleanses. 
And that matters a ton. And, and quickly on this is a, is a brief story about me personally having to deal deeply with this passage of scripture. There was a time in college when I was first starting to love the Lord more and understand the Bible better. And our college had some street preachers kind of show up at our college campus. And they were teaching from this very passage, especially verses five and six here. And they were saying that if you're a Christian, you will basically prove it by not sinning. By basically living a life without sin. And honestly, that was something I'd, I'd never heard before, and it was really against the gospel that I was really starting to love. And I didn't know this passage that well, and so all of that made me dig really further into this and seeing what John is actually saying here. And as I studied it, what stood out to me was, well, first, some of the things that we're about to see in verses 8 and 10 about sin, which you'll see. But then second, and personally most fascinating to me, was discovering, again, that the verb cleanse here in verse 7 is in the present tense. The present tense, and that matters a lot because think about this with me. If John was really teaching that Christians were perfect now or sinless after becoming Christians, then he definitely would not have put this cleanse in the present tense. Instead, he would have put it in the past tense because he would have said walking in the light is knowing God with other people and previously being cleansed of all of those past sins. Get that? He would have said, and the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all of those past sins that we used to have before we were Christians. But instead, he actually says, right now, as we're in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us. Or literally, in the original Greek, it's even more emphatic because it could be, is cleansing us from all of our sin. And again, if you're just confused, let's just be so clear then, church, and understand the gospel, and really an answer to our first questions here of what is all this talk about light and darkness? What does it mean to walk in the light? Well, first, concerning light and darkness, yes, God is light. And we're not to walk in the opposite of him in, in darkness and say we know God, amen. But what does that mean? What, what does it mean to walk in the light and not in darkness? That's the real question. And hear me out one last time. The answer is in perfection and never sinning. Rather, honestly, the answer is the gospel and what the gospel produces in us. Because number one, walk in the light means we really have a relationship with God because of Jesus. Number two, it means we do with other people. And number three, also, it means we aren't perfect yet. Rather, our foundational reality as we walk in the light is that the blood of Jesus cleanses us, is cleansing us from all the sin. That's walking in the light. And that, that's really the gospel in a nutshell, right? That's our Christian lives. We know God with others, and Jesus always forgives us, which is good news. And so all that said, that's our first and honestly our longest and toughest section, church. And again, those are very often misunderstood, and so I hope we all understand them now. But, that, but the passage doesn't end there. And so now, in our second section, we're going to be in verses 8 through 10. And here, we're going to ask more specifically... And how, though, does all that affect our sin in the center of the gospel? And for this, it's true. We already know that answer a little bit, as Jesus always cleanses us from our sin. But John gets even more specific on those things in these verses. And so for these, we're just going to take them one at a time. And so continuing on, now look down at verse 8. Verse 8. The Bible next says this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So again, here's what we know for sure that John the disciple is not preaching or teaching perfection because if we say we have, both of those are in the present tense again. So right now, if you and I say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth isn't in us. 
Meaning, very simply, as Christians, as those in the light, we still have sin. And that's confirmed actually in verse 10, verse 10. So now look there. We'll come back to verse 9, but this is a good example of John's circular thinking because in verse 10, he's soon going to say this. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so again, we have sinned and we have sinned. (laughs) But specifically on that now, notice we also make God a liar and his word is not in us if we're people who start talking that we have not sinned. And that's fascinating because that means that the Bible is saying that part of God's word, meaning part of God's message to us as church, you and I are sinners. It's part of God's message. And so if we say, I haven't really sinned, or if you say, well, I'm kind of fine now because I already know Jesus, so I don't really sin anymore, then it's not just that we're incorrect, but we're actually calling God a liar who's told us we are sinners. And so that's verses 8 and 10. And most of us probably, we understand that. It's pretty obvious, right? Right? Probably most of us in here, we know we're sinners. But still, quickly, church, all that does apply to us. And that, that means that as Christians, we should be humble about ourselves. Humble and often repentant. Because the Bible right there is really clear. We've all still got real sin in us. But that all leads to the center of all this now in verse 9. And this is perhaps the most important gospel verse in our whole passage. Because it's here where John gets most specific about the gospel itself. And you'll see what I mean. But first, let's just look at it. So now, in the middle of those two verses about sin, 8 and 10, look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if there's one verse to maybe decide to memorize this morning, I should really encourage you to do so. This verse would probably be the one to recite often in our Christian lives. And why? Well, because again, that is the center of the gospel. This is the heart of the message of Jesus, which leads us to know Jesus like John knew Jesus and to have fellowship with this God of light. And what is it? Well, it's that if we're people who confess our sins, not meaning here always confessing every single sin, we sin more than we know. Instead, notice the contrast clearly here in verses 8 and 10 is that some people say they do not sin, they don't admit or confess that, while here in verse 9, genuine Christians, we do admit and confess our sins and that we're sinners. That's the main point. And so verse 9, if we're people who confess our sins, well, what's true about this God of light? What's true about this God who we could imagine would want nothing to do with naturally dark sinners like us? Well, here, church, is the gospel, and I hope we each personally believe this. The truth is that if you know and you admit you're a sinner and you cling to Jesus Christ, quote, God is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And now on the one hand, that is similar to verse 7, right? But, on the other hand, it's actually more specific if you're, if you're following along. And why? Well, now focus in on those words with me, faithful and just. Faithful and just. Because if you're anything this morning, I hope it's this. And, and truthfully, this is one of the main reasons why we're doing this in our Understanding the Gospel series. Because what do those words faithful and just about God mean for us? Well, first, concerning faithful, the point is, concerning our sin church, if we personally confess and admit that we're sinners and turn to Christ, then God is faithful to forgive us. He's he's faithful. Meaning God has promised that he so loves and forgives anyone of all their sins in Jesus Christ. He's promised that, and so he does that. 
And that is such good news first because that's then our hope, our, our, our trust, our reliance in God's promise and that God has very, he said to us that he always loves and forgives us. But then also second, that's such good news, church, because that means that you and I don't have to live with this crippling doubt that, well, maybe for me, God doesn't love me or won't forgive me. Or maybe he will just choose not to forgive this specific sin that I keep struggling with. No, the point is it really is a promise from God in Jesus that anyone who comes to him in faith, he loves and forgives. And so really, concerning God, it's not like he's unsure if he can or will forgive you. Rather, he's faithful always to fulfill his promise. And he always forgives in Jesus. And so, and so that's amazing, but that's not even it. Because not only is God faithful, and so he will forgive us, but then John also adds that God is just to forgive us as well. Just or righteous. And, and that's significant because that means basically that God not only says he will forgive us, but now we know that God actually can love and forgive us. Because think about it, it would be one thing if God, this God of love, loving light, wanted to forgive me and you, but because of justice or because a certain sin is so bad that he, he couldn't. But instead, the living God will and he can forgive always because in his forgiveness, he doesn't just turn a blind eye to your sin or sweep it under the rug like some deceptive judge. Rather, as we've talked about a few times in our series now, God really does forgive us in justice, totally righteously and fairly, all because Jesus took our specific sins and dealt with those sins in full which means no one, not the devil, nor anyone else, can come to God and say, hey, that's not fair that you forgave this or that person. Or, hey, God, those sins are too deep or dark for you to forgive. Instead, if you trust in Jesus, since Jesus really took those specific sins, then God is just to forgive us as well. And again, church, you can sense that that's the heart of the gospel. And that's the answer to our second question of how does this relate to our sin in the center of the gospel concerning our sin, even as those in the light, we are still sinners, we are. And now it's also true as we're going to talk about in a second. As we do genuinely know God, we do want to sin less. So we are people who really love our God and want to follow him. And if we don't feel that, then it may show that we don't actually know God in the gospel. But again, still as those who do know God, I hope you're seeing this really is not a passage teaching perfection or you're not a Christian. Instead, in the light, we're with God, we're in this together, and our God is faithful and just to always forgive us due to what Jesus did on the cross. Or to say it another way, our fellowship with God and with one another, now and forever, I hope you know, is totally secure. And not because of you and me, but because of Jesus and that cross. So that's our first two sections. And that's all of chapter 1. But that finally leads us to our third and last section this morning. And here we're going to finish with, and what really should we take away from all this? What really should we take away from all this? And this, we're in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. And just quickly remember, chapter divisions were added over a thousand years after the Bible was written. And so it doesn't really matter, the chapter division. But I do think these verses are helpful because they fit and sum up a lot of what John has been saying. And so what we'll do now is we'll read these two verses and then we'll talk about some takeaways. And so for our final verses this morning, look down verses one and two. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He 
is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So on those verses, you can see it. There's obviously two takeaways from all this, two takeaways. And within these takeaways, we're actually gonna talk about also two errors to avoid in our Christian lives as well. And so two takeaways with two errors to avoid, and then we will be done. And so first, as for takeaway number one from all this, you can see it, right? And John makes it clear in the first verse that he writes this whole passage and letter to them and to us, quote, so that you may not sin. So that you may not sin. And now on that, we now know that's not meaning that we need to not sin in order to be okay with God. Not at all. Jesus always is cleansing us and forgiving us as we're in the light. Instead, it's that the truth is, again, if we truly do know God, know this Jesus, we will want to follow him more and love him more and live for him more. And so the goal is for those those of us in the light to, of course, be more like the God who is light. And that's actually confirmed if you skim your eyes down to verse 6 to end this paragraph. The Bible says there, whoever says he abides in him, in Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so you can see it. If we say we know God or or Jesus here in verse 6, we ought to walk in the way Jesus walked. That's our ought, our calling, our desire, our goal. Or as Jesus himself, as you might know, said a few times while he was on earth after he forgave people, like in John 5, 14, quote, see you are well, sin no more, end quote. That's always the goal, right? So that's, that's the first takeaway. And quickly on that, the first error then for us to avoid is to think, well, hey, if I know Jesus, then I really shouldn't care how I live. And I bring that up because the reality is often these days we can fall into kind of thinking like that. And now we can think that way in a more theological way. For example, in the theological belief that as long as you said you trusted Jesus once or raised a hand or then how you live doesn't really prove much at all. Well, in reality, according to the Bible, anyone who's truly saved by Jesus will seek to follow Jesus. Anyone who genuinely accepts Jesus as their Savior will always accept him as their Lord and King. Or more practically, the more basic version of this error is just kind of knowing that you'll be forgiven and then kind of in your heart being totally okay with sin because of it. But either way, the point is, if either of those are the case, we should realize that that sort of thinking isn't biblical nor the way of Jesus. Because one last time, the goal as a Christian in the light, even though we're always forgiven of our sins, of course, is to try to know and love and follow our God more, our God of light. All right, so that's the first takeaway, takeaway number one. But that then second leads us to takeaway number two, which is in the rest of verse one and verse two. And again, here's a great example of you can see John's circular thinking going back and forth. Because so the goal is to not sin. But now, once again, the middle of verse 1 through verse 2, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. In other words, the perfect combo, the first takeaway here is because of the gospel, yes, let's be more like our God. That is our goal. But also, the Bible says again, as for the second thing to take away, quote, but if anyone does sin, Meaning, let's be honest, we all fall into sin when we do mess up. Take heart, though. The gospel is, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so the gospel in the Christian life, we want to sin less and we want to love people more. But also when we do mess up, which we all do in bigger ways, smaller ways, we need to know 
always we have Jesus. And I love this. Notice the word have or possess is the same word here as it was in verse 8. In verse 8, we admit we have sin. But also now we need to know and say in our sin, we always also have Jesus. We have Jesus. And specifically though, who is the Jesus we have? We'll just quickly notice the three things John says here about the Jesus he knew so well. Three quick things. First, Jesus our advocate. Our advocate, which is a legal word meaning he is on our side. Standing up for us. And then second, Jesus is the righteous or the righteous one. And so we're not righteous all the time. We mess up, but Jesus is the righteous. And in the gospel, we are counted righteous in him. And third, in verse two, finally, quote, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Meaning Jesus is the wrath and punishment bearer who deals with our sins and brings us back to the Father. And finally there, also notice John adds, and we need to know this, And this Jesus we're talking about is not just your and my propitiation, church, but he's the world's. In other words, let's let's be clear. This Jesus is not just for the ethnic Jews, as John back then was an ethnic Jew, and people could have thought that. Nor is this Jesus just for seemingly important people, like the apostles. Nor is he just for the Christians receiving this letter. Nor is Jesus mainly for people like us here in America or here at ECC. Instead, this Jesus we have is the propitiation, meaning he's the one who brings people to God and forgives sins completely. He's that for the sins of people all over the world. The gospel that we believe is that big. So all that said, that's obviously the second takeaway, to continue to trust Jesus and his personal and global forgiveness. Which finally, just to be clear, that means concerning our second error now to avoid. So the first error to avoid is thinking, it doesn't really matter how I live. I don't really care about following Jesus. But the second error, I hope we all hear it's the opposite. It's now to think, and yet, if I don't follow Jesus good enough or perfectly, then I'm in trouble. Because church, we need to know it. The truth of the gospel of Jesus is that there is no sin too big, nor is there a sin we've struggled with for too long that makes Jesus stop loving us or not able to forgive us. He is our advocate. He's the righteous one. He's the propitiation of our sins. The good news is, yes, we don't want to sin, but also when we sin, we have Jesus faithfully and justly being our forgiveness. Meaning, let me just say, brother or sister in Christ, take heart. If you know Jesus, you're not defined by your sins. Your sins don't scare God or Jesus. You are also not defined by your past or even by your present emotions or feelings. Instead, your defining reality is this Jesus. That's why the Bible says to live is Christ and Christ is our advocate. He's the righteous one. He's our continual lover, friend, and forgiver. And John knew that, and he wanted us to know it as well. So that's our passage, church. And again, I know as you probably see by now, some of that was confusing and circular, but I hope we all understand and love what John said here. Because let me just sum it up. This is the message that John and the apostles heard from Jesus, from the one they saw and they touched. The message of the gospel is that God is light. And in God, there is no darkness at all. And though amazingly, in God's holy, loving light, he came here. He accomplished salvation. 
And he welcomes people in to truly know him and fellowship with him and follow him and do it with other people. And how, though, does all that happen? How does that happen? Is it by us being good enough to somehow be able to enter God's presence? Is it by us being perfectly morally light like God is? No. Instead, you can see it. John here repeats himself and says it three times in our short passage. Chapter 1, verse 7. Chapter 1, verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 2. That all of it is grounded in Jesus and his gospel of faithful and just forgiveness. And so one last time, let's be people who believe that. And because of that, yes, let's go out from here and really look to sin less, to follow our God and whatever he says. But also as we do that, let's make sure we always look to and cling to and love Jesus. Thankful that Jesus came, that he loves us, that he died for us, that he's what defines us, and that he is so for us, his people, right now. Amen. Let's pray.